This is the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Lark. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. I'm Matt Larkin. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm in pain right now. The, the COVID ripple effects, they're killing me in my pool. I, I was off to a great start. I won my first two matchups. It's a head-to-head league. But I've got Jack Eichel, who's postponed for a week. I've got Evgeny Malkin, who's not playing right now. Postponements. Kevin Viala suspended. Mark Stone's not playing. My goalies are Robin Leonard, COVID list, or the whole team is. Ilya Samsonov, COVID. I'm, I'm just imploding right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. I want to share that with you guys in case you are... Uh, feeling the same pain as producer Steven says that he's got a whole bunch of guys as well that are that are on the IR or the COVID list it's a crazy season you just have to try and survive grind it out and we're going to get started with uh, our pickups okay our waiver pickups we're going to do shallow leagues first the shallow league pickup of the week is Thatcher Demko goaltender Vancouver Canucks who's available in 42 percent of leagues I want to give a shout out we had a question actually for the question section from Kevin O'Brien Kevin I'm going to just talk about Demko in this section instead so Demko, it's not a big surprise that I'm recommending him. I was high on him and I, I put him on, you know, a lot of, I, it, in a lot of my sleeper talk, okay, going into the season because I wanted to watch uh, the battle with Braden Holtby and just how much of the, the pie Demko was going to get. We know Braden Holtby is only on a two-year deal. So it's pretty clear that Demko is going to be the long-term guy in that crease. And now what we're seeing is Holtby save percentages below 900. You're seeing Thatcher Demko has started for the last six games. So if he's starting to take over, he becomes extremely fantasy relevant. We know the talent is there. He's got the size. He's got the swagger. He's got the pedigree. All he needs is the playing time. And if Demko's even starting, you know, 60%, six out of every 10 games going forward, then I think he's a fantasy starter. And, you know, obviously the Canucks have, have taken a real beating at the hands of the Canadians uh, of late, but don't let that skew the entire picture. And I, I still think that Demko is going to be highly startable, especially if he's done this and next up, we have an ad for Medium Leagues. This is Jordan Cairo, who's available in 41% of leagues. I want to give a shout out to another question we had from Penelope Pedersen. She had a question about Jordan Cairo, which I'm going to handle here. And the question, I think, was just whether we should trust the start. And here's the thing with, with Cairo. For the most part, the pedigree is there. He wasn't a first-round pick, but he was a second-round pick. He was a big scorer in junior. He was a Team Canada member, world junior guy. And he's someone who scored at every level he's played in, including the AHL. He's made it look pretty easy in the AHL. And the Blues have taken their time with him. He's 22 years old. They brought him along. They forced him to earn his chance, as Craig Brube was sort of implying at the start of the season. And now we're seeing him on the second line, 12 points in 10 games. He's starting to rip it up. And I don't consider it a major fluke because this was always the upside of, of Kyra. If he's going to make it in the NHL, he's not the kind of player that was going to be a checker. He's either going to make it as a top six forward or not. And we're starting to see him arrive in the NHL as a legitimate top six forward. I say medium league pickup, not shallow, because Kyra is still playing line two. Second power play unit, he's only playing about 13 minutes a night. So the, the top line minutes are not there yet. But I still think in medium-sized leagues and, and bigger, then definitely add Kyra. Next up, we have our deep league pickup, and it's Martin Netchish. Here's someone who, unlike Kyra, has the big-time pedigree, 12th overall pick in 2017. We know he's very important to the long-term plans of the Carolina Hurricanes. And what's interesting, you know, they brought him along slowly as well, kind of like Kyrie or Netchish, you know, had 36 points as a rookie. Before that, he played for the Charlotte Checkers and he won a Calder Cup. 
And now we're seeing him really starting to click on the second line with Vincent Trocek, who's another person I think you should add if he's available right now. And what's really exciting to me about Natchez is his ice time. You're seeing him top 20 minutes, two games in a row. His average ice time is up almost four minutes from last year. So you're seeing a significant jump in role for a player who has major upside. He was already one of my favorite sleepers going into the year. And what's what I'm trying to figure out, like how is Martin Natchez available in 92% of leagues? But what it is, is obviously Carolina because of COVID they haven't played nearly as many games so he was probably dropped by people who couldn't afford to wait and his overall numbers he just has one goal four points in seven games the numbers don't pop because Carolina just has a really small sample size so it's a great buying opportunity in deep leagues I would even consider Martin Natchez if I'm being honest in medium-sized leagues as well because the upside is pretty significant there uh the next category it's the WTF category Joe Pavelski He's actually doing the same things Connor McDavid's doing. Joel Pavelski has two points per game, seven goals in seven games, 14 points in seven games, and he's available in 14% of leagues. So, you know, it's not going to last. Joel Pavelski is 36 years old. Uh, but until this hot streak ends, he's got to be picked up in every league. He has to be owned in 100% of leagues. So if you're in one of these really, I guess, easy shallow leagues where Pavelski's sitting out there with this hot streak, go and get him right now. Next up, we have the tip of the week. So I kind of implied this with what I was saying about Martin Netchish. And this week's tip is, uh, I call it, you know, catching up on the COVID teams. And what I mean is, there are a lot of teams that have played very few games because they, you know, they had a player test positive, they were shut down, or their opponents uh, had positive tests, so they couldn't play their opponents. And we know, as of now at least, the plan is still for these teams to all get their 56 games in. The games are still scheduled, which means the hockey will be played unless we learn otherwise. And, you know, eventually they have to go two points percentage to finish the season. But right now, looking at teams like Carolina, Dallas, Florida, Tampa Bay, Nashville, Vegas. And after this week, once they come back, Buffalo, New Jersey, those are guys to target with your waiver pickups. Those are guys to target with your trades because you're going to get a huge burst of volume in games played later in the season. So be a sneakster when it comes to these teams that have suffered as a result of, of COVID cancellations, and you'll be able to really stack a bunch of games later in the season. And that applies, you know, it can really help in head-to-head -head leagues, but it even applies to roller leagues. So you're just going to get more games if you add guys from these teams, because for now, their games are still on the schedule. They'd be rescheduled for later in the season. Uh, now we're going to go to some questions. First question, uh, Stephen, are you ready? If I'm ready, if you are, and you can start firing them at me. Let's do it. All right. James Tubb asks, with Adam Lowry being pushed down the lineup following the Jets' acquisition of Dubois, is he worth the pickup matching against lesser talent, or will he be utilized in less opportunity roles for fantasy? Okay, so I wouldn't be tripping over myself to add Adam Lowry if you kind of look at, you know, and I, I, I use the word probably in every fantasy podcast, I'll say pedigree five times, but it matters because it kind of gives you a hint as to whether something's a fluke or not. And, and Adam Lowry, he's 27 years old. His career high in goals is 15. His career high in points is 29. And he wasn't even a big scorer, in, in, you know, not, not, a, not a significantly big scorer in junior, didn't really score much in the AHL. There's nothing in his career pattern to suggest that this offensive explosion is legitimate. And the thing is, with Pierre-Luc Dubois coming in, it's not like Adam Lowry is going to be dropping down to the third line. He's already there it's going to be fourth line for Adam Lowry, right? So the opportunities I think are going to shrink even more. Uh, I, I still think if you're in the league that counts hits, 
then he's worth the roster spot because you know he, he's already always a, a pretty safe source of hits. He's going to in a full season you know flirt with 200 give or take. And if he's scoring, that's kind of great because you're you're adding him for his hits. And if he gets points here and there, then it's oh sweet. I didn't expect this from Adam Lowry. But overall, I don't think you're chasing the points with him because not only is it a fluke, but the role is going to shrink even further going forward. Next question. I am ready, Steve. All right. That is from Antonio Earhart. And they ask, who's your biggest faller so far this season? Yeah. So I thought about this one uh, and it, this hurts because my keeper league, uh, we did a reset because of COVID last year. We started the whole league over again. And my second round pick was my goalie of the future, Ilya Samsonov. And I think he's someone whose value, especially not so much in keeper leagues, but in redraft leagues, his value has taken a big hit this season for multiple reasons. One, of course, he, he was the one who tested positive for COVID, so he's been out of the lineup. But the problem is Vitek Vanacek has come in. He's played very well, rookie of the month. And, you know, I'm not saying that Vanacek is going to steal the job, but I think at the very least now he's going to steal a bigger role. So when Henrik Lundqvist was out for the season, it really opened up the possibility for Samsonov to be one of the highest volume goalies in the league. But now the way Vanacek's playing, I think he's earned a bigger piece of the pie. And I'm not as high on Samsonov going forward. I still think in the end he's going to be the starter. But now he's got more competition. And also, you know, he's got to earn back some goodwill in the organization as the guy who tested positive and broke the rules leading to the big fine. So I don't know if that's going to have a ripple effect on his playing time, but it's possible. So overall, I say the stock is a little bit down for Samsonov. It could mean he's a buy low at some point, but it's it's too bad because, again, it's hurting my team directly. And that stinks. Me too. Me too. Me too. It, it hurts. It's a guy. My, my, I got a whole Russian goaltending group and he's kind of someone where it's like I kind of banked on him having a, a good season and it's been not the case. Our, our next question is from is this I don't know if this is your burner, but super cool, man. Is there a mid tier player you always like to select? Not a star, but someone who that may not get a lot of attention, but is always worth a pickup. And for me, that was always Jimmy Howard every year. I could always kind of expect a certain number of wins, even if he was just like my third goalie. Like I always knew I could put him in and rely on him when Detroit was good, kind of like Corey Crawford. But I guess what are, what are your guys there? Yeah, those are good picks for when they were at their peak. And uh, for me, it's a Vander Kane because he, I, I kind of, I refer to what he does as a stats buffet because he, it's, you can sample a little bit of everything with him. He shoots the puck a lot. He throws a lot of hits. If you're in a league with penalty minutes, he gets a lot of penalty minutes. He's good in a full season. You know, you can count on him for 25 goals, give or take. So he just does a little bit of everything. And, you know, I don't know if it's because of his reputation and, you know, the trouble he's gotten into sometimes in his career off the ice, but I, I always find he falls a little bit. It's like not everyone wants to have him on their team or something. I'm not sure, but I always find he's someone you can get at a relative, uh, I don't, I don't say bargain, but just the value is always good. He's usually available in the middle rounds of drafts. And I just like what he brings because he just he contributes everywhere. So he's always a reliable pick for me. All right. Next question is from Cassie Lark. And this might be one of my favorite questions that we've had uh, ever since this podcast even started. What would it take to acquire Connor McDavid in a fantasy hockey trade? Yeah, well, especially the way things are going right now with Edmonton getting to play Ottawa so much, it's kind of reminiscent. We haven't seen anything close to this in terms of McDavid and Dreisaitl since the, you know, the, the days of lore where I, I wasn't even really old enough to be playing in these leagues at the time, but in the 80s and maybe early 90s, with Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, they were considered unfair to own because they were so dominant. And either, either some leagues wouldn't even have Gretzky available or you can only draft Gretzky's goals or Gretzky's assists. So like Gretzky's assist total will be the first pick in the, in the draft. And that, that sort of illustrates, by the way, I was writing about it last week, why Gretzky is the greatest player of all time. Like when you're so good that you have to be split into two people in fantasy hockey pools, that shows how dominant you are. 
Uh, and it was the same for Lemieux at his peak as well. But McDavid, you know, he's he's not quite at that point where you need to split his stats and or, or you know, make it un- illegal to draft him. But he is lapping the field along with Leon Dreisaitl. Um, and in this trade scenario, so I, I'm going to exclude Dreisaitl from the trade scenario because fantasy-wise, Dreisaitl's keeping pace with McDavid. Uh, but otherwise, if you're trying to, to make a trade with any other players, I think it has to include the other team's first round pick, whoever they picked in the first round, even if that's like Nathan McKinnon or, you know, someone really super talented, Austin Matthews, someone like that, plus maybe your second round pick or a good goaltender. So I, I, I thought of some examples. Like I think if you're going to get McDavid at this point, it's got to be like Nathan McKinnon and Carter Hart for McDavid or Austin Matthews and Mika Zibanejad for McDavid. I think you have to pay that premium because McDavid is just lapping the field along with Dreisaitl. Um, in a keeper league, it's different. In the keeper league, I think the price has got to be even higher because there's just no one close to that dominance. And, and the reason why I ranked McDavid number one going into the uh, drafts this year, as I said, compared to Dreisaitl McKinnon, the thing that's scariest about McDavid is that he might not be at his ceiling yet. Whereas I think Dreisaitl and McKinnon are they're a little bit older, they're closer. <laughs> but McDavid, it's like he might get better still, which is terrifying, especially for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, so the, the price has to be even bigger. It's got to be multiple first-round picks and, you know, some really elite players. All right. Next question comes from Harry. And what stats do you absolutely hate the most in fantasy? I'll just say penalty minutes. Why in the world would that ever be a stat in fantasy hockey? That's you get stupid picks. Like the draft I was in where Jody Shelley went number one. It's like, you you just can't pick the guy. Like it's obviously harder to pick guys for penalty minutes now because you're not getting the absolute goons that we used to get and, and getting 200 penalty minutes a year. But like, Ah, that's one I just can't stand. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. And the first one that I wrote down, I, I don't like the luck-based stats. So when I first started the league that I've played in for 20 years, shorthanded points were a big thing. And it was like, oh, I got a shorthanded point on a Sunday. I won a category. Because just by some fluke, you know, you're, one of your guys was killing a penalty. And and by back then, you, you didn't even draft guys who were regular penalty killers. It was like, you know, you had a forward who was on at the end of a shift and he was killing a penalty for 20 seconds and he you know, sprung the guy out of the box for breakaway or whatever it is. I guess that would be a shorthand point, but there's some fluke factor to it always. They're so rare. And I don't like anything that takes the skill out of the game. And even game winning goals can be a bit fluky as well. Uh, so those are two that, that we've gotten rid of in the league that I plan. Uh, and also penalty minutes. And what bothers me about penalty minutes, you know, we used to use those in pools to approximate toughness, but now we have things like hits and blocks. And in real life, like you don't want to get a penalty. A penalty hurts your team. So the idea that in fantasy, it's a good thing to get a penalty. It always bothered me because I like the idea that, that the fantasy league is supposed to kind of mimic what, what's valuable in real life. Whereas so in a fantasy league, you could be like, oh, I won my championship. Well, how did you win? Well, on the last day, my guy hit somebody from behind and he got five minute major for boarding and the game misconduct. And I won penalty minutes. All right, he really came through for my team. Like that really bothers me. Like if you get a big penalty in a real game, it's like you're in big trouble. If you hurt your team, you could get suspended. I don't want that to be something that gets rewarded in a fantasy league, right? So I much prefer using hits as the closest approximation of toughness. So those would be my categories. Shorthanded points, game-winning goals, and penalty minutes. And in this league I've played in for, for 20 years, we cut those three categories over time, bit by bit. We've gotten rid of all of them. Uh, the one one stat I actually love is goalie goals. And I played in a fantasy league in the year where Mike Smith won, or scored a goal. And like that was the reason, like, that guy won the pools because he got like like it was like 50 points for my yeah. Smith to get it because the odds of like we wanted to reward something like that because it's so rare but then it happens like oh crap <laughs> that sucks for everybody else becker when scored last year but otherwise we haven't had anything since mike smith did it back in 2013 so it's pretty rare now robbie delane asks 
This is a very good question. In a keeper, if you could have just two defensemen, Rasmus Dahlin, Seth Jones, Miro Heiskin, and Quinn Hughes, who do you pick and why? It's interesting because if this was a real-life question, I think it would be really tough. Fantasy, I actually think this question, Hughes is, is it's simple, you know, obviously are looking like they could be generationally great, generationally great offensive defensemen. And they're doing things that like Eric Carlson did after a couple seasons, but they're doing it in their first and second seasons. And they're scoring at a pace that we haven't seen since Brian Leach. And Stephen, is my connection, I'm getting connections unstable. How do I send? Can yeah, you give me yeah, an update on a, a little, A little rocky, but who were the two players again? It's Quinn, Quinn Hughes and Rasmus Dahlin. Do I need to do that one again? No, nope, you're, you're keep going, keep going. Keep it going. Just want to make sure that I'm not, you know, freezing while people are listening to this. Um, so, yeah, I said Quinn Hughes and Rasmus Dahlin. Hughes is because we're already seeing what he can do. He's scoring at a rate we haven't seen since Leach. And Rasmus Dahlin, because he's still so young and, you know, he's the same draft class as Quinn Hughes. And, and Dahlin, I think, was the guy projected to have even bigger of a long-term ceiling. And I still think he's going to be fantastic. He still has lots of time, uh, especially because we're talking keeper league. And, you know, Miro Heiskin, I think, might be the best all-around defenseman of the group when we look back at their careers someday. But really great offense in the, in the playoffs last year. He's been merely good in the regular season. And Seth Jones is someone whose career trajectory is taking different turns where, you know, it looked like he was going to be perennial Norris Trophy guy. Now the analytics community is starting to sour on him a little bit. His offense is sort of taking a backseat because Zach Wierenski is becoming the more fantasy relevant guy who jumps up in the play. So you're seeing Seth Jones's numbers plateau a little bit. So to me, I would rank him fourth in that group in terms of keeper league value. So Hughes, Darlene, then I'd go Heiskanen, and then I'd go Seth Jones. Can't really go wrong with those four names. You, you probably got a good defensive situation if you got that. And, of course, uh, you know what? We're still in the Zoom world, so internet connection issues, it happens, whatever whatever it is. But otherwise, you're doing you're all good. Do, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Not, nothing much. Can't wait to be able to do this in a studio again someday. Now, next question. Eric Harlan asks, what's the worst trade you've ever made in a league? And I, I could say my worst was I, I, I traded Connor McDavid. I don't recall who I traded for, but – it was a long time ago. Wow. And I, you know, I, I'm known as a, just a wild trader. Like I traded Alexi Lafreniere and Tim Stutzel last week in my keeper league, like in, in the same trade. Like I traded the two of them and William Nealander for Jack Eichel. So oh, I, I'm well, a that's, that's a good trade, but oh, you're, you're, you're going to miss I, those I, two. I'm all, I, I just, I'm a wild man. I'm a cowboy when it comes to trading, but there's one actually, cause I, I remember this, I was talking about it last week. Uh, it was one year where I traded, you know, I thought I was outsmarting. I had like, you know, Morgan Riley was off to a hot start and I had, I had young Evgeny Kuznetsov and it was his breakout season. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pay up and get John Tavares, but Tavares just had an okay year. It been a year where he got hurt and I, I traded Kuznetsov and Riley in a keeper league for Tavares. And I got, I missed the playoffs that year, even though I was supposed to be going for it. My team went into a big slump. I missed the playoffs and that was a bad trade. I remember. And a fun fact of trivia, the person I made that trade with is Canadian crooner, Michael Buble, who's still, I don't know if you guys follow the podcast. He's been on this podcast before talking about our league because he's in my league. And he was the one that, that did this to me. It was him that crushed my soul with this trade. So there's a fun piece of trivia for you. It still scarred me because it's the only time my team's missed the playoffs in the last, like, I don't know, a long time. And I was talking about it last week. That's my worst trade. 
I think maybe we got to get him on to, to just an- answer the questions. I want to hear how you guys would differ on your, your approaches and, and your advice and see how that would work. Uh, going on to our next question, Jackson Peros asks, if you had to have Panarin or Eichel for the next three years, and it's a specific I know, who would you prefer? And I, I'm going to go with, I'm assuming I know your answer of Eichel, but maybe I'm wrong. I love the name Jackson Peros. Uh, it sounds like very... I don't know. It sounds like a, I was going to say a really like a, a, a hot new artist, maybe because I'm thinking of Jackson Pollock. I'm not sure. Uh, and you're right, Steve. <laughs> I would choose Eichel again. I was trying to do a Lafreniere to get Eichel in my league, right? So the thing is, you know, right now, Panarin is, is definitely in a better situation, but I see a couple different ways where Eichel can catch up. One is this, Eichel's five years younger. So if we're talking keeper league, you know, Eichel still could be building to a career peak where Panarin is probably at his peak now, which is still an excellent peak. And with Eichel, it's like, you know, the, it's either going to work out in Buffalo. We're going to see the Eichel breakout contend for a hard trophy. Buffalo makes the playoffs. And is it, if it doesn't, I feel like Buffalo is almost out of chances with him and they're going to have to trade him because we've seen the sort of annual Jack Eichel exit interview where he's really angry about how the season's going. And, you know, the firing Jason Bottero, bringing in Taylor Hall. It's clear that the way the Pregulas are behaving, they're trying to do everything to keep they're superstar happy, get him into the playoffs for the first time because they're going to lose him. And I think in that scenario, we're going to, so we're either going to see Eichel great in Buffalo or Eichel leaves and lands in a new situation where his fantasy value gets even higher. So I, I think in either path, Eichel's going to have better fantasy value over the next three years than Artemi Panera. All right. Sure rants a lot. I don't know if it's supposed to be sir, but it's a sure rants a lot. Sell high into Foley, or is he a roster player for the rest of the year? Well, if you keep playing Vancouver, yep, he's going to be great. Yeah, I think this is like a slam dunk textbook. Absolutely sell, 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 sell. You have to sell Tyler to Foley high. He's got nine goals in 10 games. He's playing in a big market. It's a big story. Everyone's talking about Tyler to Foley. He's scoring on 25% of his shots. And nobody, in terms of qualified leaders, nobody in the NHL, has scored on 25% of his shots in 13 years. So that is very, 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 very unsustainable. It's a great story what Tafoli's doing, but it's not like he's even locked into a true first-line role. The Habs are kind of rolling three lines, and you could argue that is kind of on the third line. And of course, he's playing power play, but he's getting very lucky with the shooting percentage so far. I still think, you know, the breakout season could be legit. He's, he's in a new situation. He was in very defensive systems and... Maybe he's just blossoming in the right the right role, but either way, he in a full season that makes seventy goals, which is roughly his pace right now. Tyler Foley, and to go back to the tip I gave earlier about teams that have really small sample sizes with COVID, maybe you can find a Habs fan in your league and trade to Foley to him for someone like Sebastian Aho, who's off to a slow start, also because his team hasn't played very many games. If you can get a true, you know, I don't think you can get a first round caliber player for Toffoli but maybe you can get a second round caliber player for Toffoli you never know because sometimes and especially in a short season teams make impulsive decisions and you know if you could find like if I could find the perfect resume find a Habs a Habs fan in your league who's also his team's off to his or her team is off to a slow start and so you dangle Toffoli they see the current stats look great and maybe they bite and you get their struggling start getting Malkin's another guy you could target as well who's you know Penguin's sample size of games is small Malkin's up to a small start if you can get Malkin for Toffoli you gotta do it so sell high on Mr. Toffoli 
Uh, before we finish the podcast with a new category, Stephen, I think we have time for a couple more questions if you wanted to dig through. Are there any that have surfaced on Twitter that we haven't gotten to that you want to toss? There's one really good one from Connor G88 uh, last. How did you get started in fantasy hockey? Because you mentioned that you're like really old and you've been playing this for a long time. So how did you get your start? Uh, well, I, I did you because I, I was born in the early 80s. So in the you know late 80s, early 90s, I would play where you, you know, you track the stats with the newspaper, maybe the hockey news. It was like once a week where you can, you know, add up all the stats and you, you print out a spreadsheet, you write it in in pencil. I did that a little bit, but I didn't really get into pools until I'd say the, when the boom of the online fantasy league started, which was late, uh, late nineties, early, it would be early 2000. So it was actually my last year of high school, 2001, 2002. So that would have been the year that uh, Jerome McGinley was the leading scorer in the league. And, and Jose Theodore won the heart trophy that year. That was my first season of real fantasy hockey. And I started the league and it was, you know, to, to get personal, I guess it, it was sort of a family thing where my dad was the commissioner. He still is. And we kept this league going for now it's been 20 years because I left for university the next year. So it was sort of a way to stay in touch. And then it also got my dad in touch with all my friends and they sort of got to know us as adults and, you know, our more adult humor kind of mixed in and, and, it, and it made everyone close and we've kept this league going. So that's sort of how uh, I got started. Hashtag cool story, bro. All right. We got a, another one here and ask, what's your ideal price? Sorry, this is from Hockey is life with a lot of misspellings, but that's a cool name. What's your ideal prize structure? Do you just go with winner take all, second play money back, other reward categories like most win or most points? So yeah, what what? How do you like doing prizing in pools? Uh, I, I like the feel of simulating the, the the feeling of a real of like pretending it's the real NHL. For that reason, I've actually eliminated all my other leagues. I only play in one league because I like the idea. It's like no, this is it. In real life, you don't get to play in multiple leagues. You get one chance at the Stanley Cup. So I actually play in one league now. And we have winner take all for the, for the cash prize. Cause then it's like, if you lose in the final, it's, I want it to be the equivalent of like, you're the player like, kneeling on the ice with tears in his eyes. Cause you were so close to the prize. You got all the way here and you go home with nothing. I want that to be the feeling of our league too. So it's winner take all baby. All right. And that's, uh, I think those are the other ones kind of just overlap with some other uh, previous questions. So uh, I'm excited to hear your final segment here. Okay, yes, yeah, so we're starting a new segment called Starting Lineup. So it's sort of a mock fantasy lineup, and I'm going to do a different category every week. And you're welcome, everyone listening or watching. Send me more categories. It can be as bizarre, strange as you want. I think the stranger the better. Uh, I pulled Twitter for this first one, and the winner was a starting lineup of unbreakable NHL records. So I'm pretending it's, you know, if it's a goalie and five skaters, it's six. Six items I get to choose for this list, okay? And obviously – most unbreakable records belong to Wayne Gretzky. So I'm only going to do half Gretzky. I'll do a few others. So my records are my starting lineup, unbreakable NHL records. Number one, Wayne Gretzky's 215 points, just the error replaying. I don't think anyone's going to get 215 points again. Only Mario Lemieux has even come close with 199. After that, you can go down to, I think it's Steve Eiserman with 155. If you're talking non-Gretzky or Lemieux players. Um, and also Wayne Gretzky's career points record. That's my next one, which I think is even more unbreakable. 2,857. <laughs> like he's, I think he's still in first place all time. If he never scored a goal, he's that far ahead. I don't think anyone's coming within striking distance of that record. Even if we had a, a 2,000 point player again in the NHL, it would be a surprise. My last Gretzky one for the starting lineup is 50 goals in 39 games. I think 1550 is barely attainable these days. So 1539 is absolutely unheard of. That put Gretzky at more than 100 goal pace. He slowed down that season, but still remarkable. 
next one, Marty Broder, 691 wins. I know Marc-Andre Fleury is crawling uh, or climbing close up that list. He's probably going to finish second when his career is done. But the reason why I feel like 691 is not attainable anymore is if you look at Broder's career pattern, he was known for playing, you know, high 70s. Broder and Grant Fuhrer, guys that would play so many games in their seasons, absolute workhorses, and the game has changed so much. The position is a lot harder, as I've been told by various, you know, former goalies, goalie coaches. The goalies have to move so much more laterally because the game is more east-west, because the game's been opened up. There's more of a crackdown and slashing. The position is just so much more demanding. Goalies move. They get up and down a lot more. Even shots on goal league-wide are up. At, I think they're at 40-year highs as of last year and the season before. So goalies are never busier. And for that reason, goalies play a lot less. And a stat that I, I think I mentioned on a recent podcast, a non-fantasy one, was that we're seeing the most goalies ever who play 30 plus games in a season. And that means that teams are spreading out the workload. So I just don't think there's going to be a goalie who gets to play as many games, start as many games as Marty Broder did in his career. So I think 691 is not going to be caught. The next one. So again, this is another one with context. All these records, I like putting them in context. Uh, the next one I have is Dave Schultz, 472 penalty minutes because there's just not enough fighting. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have time to get 472 penalty minutes because you wouldn't be able to fight enough to, to get those increments of five. You'd have to just do a lot of really dirty stuff on the ice. You'd end up getting suspended. Like, I don't think it's possible mathematically for anyone to, if you even, if you even get 300 penalty minutes in a modern NHL season, you must be such a nasty customer that you're going to get suspended for half the year. So 472, no way, no chance. There just isn't enough fighting. And I think 472, 472 penalty minutes is as untouchable as any of Gretzky's records right now. Uh, the last one I have is Bill Mickelson minus 82. And the reason why I have that is unbreakable is in the era of social media. And even though, you know, we've already, we've debunked the value of plus minus, but if you're bad enough to get to a minus 82, I think you're having a social media would be all over this guy. The questions that would be thrown at the coach nonstop, that the just the news cycle is so much more smothering that this guy would get run out of town. He like he'd get benched or he'd be sent down. He wouldn't be allowed to play long enough on the team to become a minus 82. So that's my starting lineup for unbreakable NHL records. Feel free to send me more ideas. And that is the end of this week's fantasy hockey podcast. I'll be back in two weeks. Good luck in your leagues. Good luck with all those postponements.